Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Years, And so we're continuing in our look at Abram and how God has called him into a specific plan, into a specific promise uh, uh, for his life. And that God has made these promises to Abram that if he'll follow in obedience. Now, Abram is a guy uh, that I think all of us can relate to. Um, if, if you read through Scripture, if you study him in Scripture, you know he goes on to become Abraham, and he is called a man of great faith. In fact, he is the father of our faith, uh, not only in Christianity, but in Judaism and also in Islam. All three faiths tie uh, their faith systems back to Abraham. So he does go on to be an incredible man of faith who does great things for God, but that is not where his story begins. His story begins in a land called Ur, uh, a man who does not know who God is, who worships foreign gods. We talked about this last week, and God calls him out of that. God calls him and says, you, you're going to leave Ur, and you're going to leave your family, and you're going to follow me to a land that you do not know yet, and I'm going to show you where that is. And God makes very specific promises to Abram that if he will do this, he makes some promises to Abram that he will provide for him. And yet this man of faith, Abram, as we see last week, completely forgets all about God's promises to him. Tempted to do that so often in my own life as life happens. Like you kind of forget about the promises God has made us in Scripture. And what we see is Abram begins to act in fear in Genesis chapter 12. He begins to act out in fear uh, of what's going to happen to him and to his family. And it leads him to make some decisions that are not great. And what we see is this Abram loves God. He loves him with all that he has, but he does not always get it right. Remember God's call to him to lead. Leave the, the land of Ur to, fought, to come out of this, this pagan area and to leave your family behind. And what does Abram do? He doesn't leave his family behind. He takes his family with him. We see last week that God had called him to the land of Canaan, and yet Abram doesn't remain in Canaan. When famine breaks out, he acts scared and he freaks out and goes, what am I going to do? Instead of resting in the promise of God that he would protect him and take care of him and provide for him, he freaks out and he leaves and he heads to Egypt to find food. Abram is going to follow God, but what we're going to see in his life is that multiple times along the way, he is going to stumble and he is going to fall. And I can't help but think, what if Abram had lived with the mindset? God had made the promise to him, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. What if he had lived with the mindset that God would take care of him? What if he had lived with the mindset that God will provide? No matter what my circumstances say, no matter what's going on around me, God has got this. How would it have changed his life? And my question to you and I is the same. How would it change our lives if we lived with that mindset that God would provide? 
How would it change your daily interaction? How would it change your stress level in your personal life and in your marriage and in your home if we lived with a mindset that God will provide, he will take care of us along the way? And though even though Abram stumbles, even though he blows it and he messes it up, what we see consistently time and time again in Abram's life is this, is that he returns to the Lord. He doesn't remain in his disobedience. He doesn't remain in the place of failure. He returns to the Lord and what he has for him. And so here in Genesis chapter 13, what we're going to see is we're going to see Abram teach us some important actions we must take if we, when we find ourselves in a place of disobedience to God. Abram is going to show us from his own life what actions you and I have to take when we find ourselves in moments of disobedience to God and his call and his plan for our life. What do we do in those moments of disobedience? How do we respond in those moments? And that is exactly where Abram finds himself this morning, in disobedience to God. God, we come to you this morning. We're grateful for the example and we're grateful for the stories of men and women throughout Scripture who have walked with you. We are grateful that you do not just give us stories of people who got it right and, and who lived perfectly according to your call for their life, but you use men and women to show us what it looks like to faithfully follow you even when we mess up. I pray this morning that as we open your word, would your spirit teach us pray right now that the windows of heaven would open up, your spirit would flood this room, that we would encounter you, we would experience you this morning, and that you would transform us. So would you speak, would you bring revelation, would you bring conviction in the places we need to be convicted, that we would faithfully follow you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, Genesis 13, chapter 1, finds Abram in the land of Egypt in a, in a place of disobedience to God and his command for his life to leave and to go to Canaan. If you're following along, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, this is his nephew, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. Now notice what scripture says. It's going to use a, a phrase here. It's going to use this language of Abram went up. And this is important language that Moses is, is choosing to use here. He is going to mirror language that you see in Genesis uh, earlier in uh, Genesis chapter 12 verses 10 when it talks about Abram going down to Egypt is mirroring that same language. And this language is important. We're going to talk about in a few moments why it's important and what it's teaching us. But what we know is that Abram experiences with his family in this land that God has called him to Canaan, a severe famine. A famine has fallen on the land. We talked about this last week in our virtual service. And this famine has caused uh, uh, Abram to act out in fear and to doubt God's promise to provide for he and his family. And so he begins to go, my family is going to starve in this land that God has called us to. There's no food. I can't feed my family. I can't feed my livestock. And so he begins to look and look for a solution instead of looking to God for a solution. And he leaves and he goes to Egypt in search of food. 
He goes to Egypt in search of provision uh, for his family and for uh, the livestock that he has. Now remember, God had called him to Canaan. And not only had he called him to Canaan, but God had said, hey, I'm calling you to this place and I promise that I will take care of you and anyone who blesses you, I'm gonna bless and anyone who curses you and comes against you, I'm going to curse them. That is God promising to Abram that I will protect you and I will provide for you. And yet Abram does not trust that God will provide for him right where he is in Canaan. And so he takes matters into his own hands. He heads out to Egypt in search of food uh, and out of, uh, out of fear, completely forgets about God and his promises that he had made to him. And it's a reminder for you and I how easy it is for us to trust God with the far off promises than with our right now needs. It's easy when, when, when God has made a promise to us that's off in the distance to trust God for that. But when a need is right before us, how often do we freak out and we begin to grab at trying to provide for that need instead of trusting God to provide for us. And that's where Abram finds himself. Back in Genesis 12, 10, it says that, uh, go, uh, that Abram uh, went down. This language of going down in the Old Testament in Hebrew uh, language is, is typically indicative of someone who is acting out of disobedience to God. And so Moses is painting a picture of Abram's descent into Egypt as disobedience to God and his call. And what we see time and time again throughout Scripture is that disobedience leads to detrimental consequences in our life. And Abram is going to experience it firsthand. He's going to see what happens when you operate and choose to operate in fear and choose to walk in disobedience to God's, uh, to God's command for your life. His disobedience is gonna lead him to lie to Pharaoh. He's gonna come into Egypt. He's gonna be afraid that they're gonna to try to take his wife as their own. And so he's gonna act in fear and he's gonna lie and say, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. He lies to Pharaoh. His deception could have cost him the promise that God made to him. Not only that, it could have cost him his life. And yet this is where Abram is. Living in disobedience, living in deception in Egypt. But something happened in Egypt because verse 13 tells us that Abram is now going up. The picture Moses is painting here for us with this language is that Abram is returning back to obedience to God. He's returning back to the presence of God. And how many of us, like Abram, find ourselves wasting time because we're deliberately going against what God has for us? And the good news is if that's you this morning, if you find yourself in a place of disobedience, God will lift you up. But like Abram, we have to repent. We've got to turn away. Abram could not remain in Egypt in disobedience. He had to turn his back on Egypt and he had to move back towards God. And that is what Abram is doing here in this moment. He is turning away from his disobedience and he is returning back to faithfulness to God. 
Now something happens uh, uh, to Abram while he is here uh, and he is in Egypt. Moses tells us here in the end of this verse, and that is this, is that even though he had been disobedient to God, he became very wealthy in the process. While he was in Egypt, he received a great treasure from Pharaoh. Once the deception is, is uncovered, got uh, a Pharaoh to make amends for his mistake in taking Sarah uh, as one of his own. He gives Abram great wealth. He's also going to have an encounter with the Another man, King Abimelech, who's going to give him lots of money as well. And what we see is even in, in Abram's disobedience to God, God still protected him. God not only protected him, God prospered him. And God blessed him. God provided greatly for Abram even in his disobedience. Why? Because God's protection and God's provision were dependent on his promise to Abram, not Abram's actions. And I just want to encourage you with something because there, there, there is a faulty view in the church in America that is tied into the prosperity gospel that God's uh, protection and God's blessing of us is tied to our actions and what we do. And it is not. God's protection and God's blessing and God's favor is 100% dependent on his character, not your actions. His covenant with you and I is 100% based on Jesus and the cross, not on you and me and what we do to earn it. God protected Abram even in the midst of his disobedience, even when he was acting in fear and not trusting in God's promise. Verse 3. And so Abram journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. During Abram's time in Egypt, one thing uh, that we notice never happens in Scripture, we have no record of it, is this. Abram never builds an altar in Egypt. Why is that important? Because an altar is how you worshiped in the Old Testament. It's where you made your sacrifice to make the atonement uh, for your sins. Abram never worships in the time that he finds himself in Egypt. Why? Because disobedience to God not only affects our judgment and how we think and the things we do, but it affects our worship of God. Abraham was avoiding God because he knew he was not where he was supposed to be. And how often in our own lives, when we find ourselves in the places of disobedience to God, do we do the same thing? Do we avoid the presence of God? We avoid worship of God because we think he is angry with us. Because we think we have let him down. And can I tell you something? Your enemy wants you to believe that not only does God hate your sin, but he hates you as well because of your sin. And that could not be further from the truth. God hates sin. He, abhor, he abhors it. It is detestable to him. But he loves you. He loves you. And here's Abram running from God. And running from God will make you forget the promises of God. And so Abram stopped running from God and he returned 
to the place where God had called him. He returned and he called on the name of the Lord. And in his return to the promised land, Abram takes the same exact pathway that he, take, that he originally took to Egypt. And I, I have to imagine that as Abram is taking this journey back to Canaan, that he is recounting and remembering the faithfulness of God as he went through the Negev and on to Bethel. And by the way, Bethel means house of the Lord. As he's on his way back to, uh, to Bethel, it is a pilgrimage back to his first love. It was a walk of re- repentance for Abram. And he comes back to that place where so many Days before he had built an altar and worshiped God because of his faithfulness. He returns to that place where the Lord had first appeared to him in Canaan and where he had experienced the presence of God. And in that place, he called on the name of the Lord. He forgot about all the ways that he had felt and he proclaimed the goodness of the God who delivered him out of Egypt. And what he shows us, if we find ourselves in a place of disobedience, the very first action we must take is to repent and return to God. To repent and return to God. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. We have a God who is gracious, who is merciful, who is forgiving. And if we find ourselves in a place like Abram this morning of disobedience, where we have run from God, where we have turned to something else other than him, the very first step we have to take is to repent, to turn our back on it just like he did to Egypt and return to a place of worship of God. And so this morning, our worship team's gonna come back up We're just going to do that because I I can't look out in a room of 50 people or so and imagine that all of us are in a place of devotion to God, a place of worship. For many of us, we we may find ourselves in a place of disobedience this morning where we have run from God. And this morning, we need to repent. And we need to turn back to him. Maybe this morning you're here and you've never uh, responded to the gospel. You recognize your sins separate you from, from God, that you are separated from him. And the only one who can set you free from your sin is Jesus because of the death on the cross that he died in your place for. And you'd like to talk with someone about what it means to be saved, to be set free from your sins, to be restored to God. In the next few moments as we worship, if that's you and you want to talk with someone, we'll be down here and we'd love to talk with you. For the rest of us, find ourselves separated from God and it's so easy to happen in our lives life just happens work gets our attention relationships get our attention the busyness of life gets our affection maybe it's an addiction that's gotten our attention whatever it is that has grabbed hold of us and pulled us from devotion to our Lord this morning. As we move into a time of worship, would you surrender that to him? Would you repent of that? 
we invite you to worship him. In the Old Testament, they would build an altar much like what Abram did here. They would build an altar and it was usually built in a place where God had done some extraordinary thing and it was a reminder of what God had done. And so we're gonna move into a time of worship and I'd love to invite you to take a moment to surrender anything, to repent of anything that you need to lay down that is holding you back from full devotion to God. And as we move into a time of worship, there's some paper here on the front of the stage and I'd invite you to come and I'd love for us to fill this with reasons God is worthy of our praise and our worship this morning. I'd invite you to come and just to begin to write, how is it that God is worthy of praise in your life? What is it that he's done that he is worthy of praise in your life? And let's pour our praise and our worship out on him in the next few moments. Would you stand with us where you are? God, we come to you. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want our attention and our affection pulled in other directions. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you in this space. I ask that you would bring conviction in the areas that we need to repent, the things that we need to lay down, sins that we need to surrender to you that have captured our affection and our attention, areas of distraction in our life that have captured our affection that rightfully belongs to you. Would we surrender those to you? And would we worship you freely in the next few moments? In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So Abram returns to God. He repents of his ways. He returns uh, to worship of God. Um, and something interesting happens pretty quickly after that. Uh, if you've got a copy, we're going to pick up in verse 5. Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen uh, of uh, Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the uh, Pezzarites were dwelling in the land. Uh, we'll pick up on that here in a few moments. What was the command, if you remember back, that God gave to Abram when he originally called him? It was to leave the land that you're in, to leave your family behind. And what we see is Abram partially obeyed God's command and he takes Lot with him uh, and, and he brings him even though God had commanded him to leave his family behind. I don't know why Abram uh, decided to bring his, his nephew. I don't know if he had uh, some kind of affection for him. Uh, maybe uh, this was a, a favorite nephew of his. But for whatever reason, he brings Lot with him. Uh, now, both Abram and Lot become very wealthy along the way. Their journey, not only were they already wealthy, they had great possession before they set off from Ur, but their time in Egypt had greatly increased their wealth. And their wealth in this day was not measured like it is today. It wasn't, for, you know, your 401k and, you know, how much gold and silver you had. It was measured in servants and it was measured in livestock and animals that you had. And so to be wealthy meant that you had a large estate. It was a lot of people came along with that. A lot of possessions came uh, along with that. And something happens here in that these two can no longer coexist side by side. 
Um, they could no longer uh, live uh, among each other. There was this conflict that broke out over the land and whose land is it and whose uh, uh, shepherds get to you know, take uh, uh, animals out and, and graze in what pastures and who can use what water at what times. And so this conflict is breaking out uh, between Abram and Lot. Now notice this. This conflict arises right after Abram returns to God. Right after Abram chooses to return to a a right place with God as he returns to a right and proper relationship and worship of the God that had called him. In that moment that he returns to God, this, uh, this conflict breaks out. And know that our enemy will often do this. He will often strike at this moment. And it's the second action that Abram reminds us of when we find ourselves in a place of uh, disobedience. Not only do we have to repent and return to God, but we better get prepared because our enemy is not going to be happy with that. And he's going to attack. He is going to bring conflict in your life. He's going to bring things in your life to try to pull your affection and your devotion and your worship back off God and to get you into a place of isolation and back into a place of disobedience in your life. He's going to stop at nothing to pull you away from God. That is his ultimate goal. Your enemy wants your devotion off of your father. And for Abram, He uses one of his very first mistakes, Lot, to do this. He created conflict. Why? Conflict is always fertile soil for distraction from God. Conflict in our lives, there's something about it can pull our attention and our focus off of God and put it on to something else. But also the enemy's attack using Lot did this. It reminded Abram of his failure to follow God's command. It was a double-sided attack by the enemy. Not only is he creating conflict in Abram's life, but he is creating conflict with Lot, the very person that Abram should not have brought with him. And so Abram is going to not only have to deal with conflict in his life, but he's also going to be throwing mounds of guilt because I should have known better. I should have never brought him with me. It's like this is a two-for-one for the enemy, right? And so often that's how our enemy attacks us with our past mistakes and our past failures and our ho- in hopes of destroying our devotion to God, of pulling us away from our devotion to God. But God gives Abram some wisdom and discernment on how to handle this situation. Verse eight, and so Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. That means we're related, we're family. There shouldn't be strife. We shouldn't be arguing. We shouldn't be fighting. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now this is extraordinary for Abram because who had God made the promise to? Abram. God said, I'm giving you, Abram, a land. He said nothing about Lot. God made no promises to Lot. Lot didn't deserve any land of his own. And yet Abram in his generous nature is choosing to allow Abram, uh, Lot to have a choice in what land he should get. He shouldn't have any land to begin with. But out of his generous heart, Abram is going to give Lot land and not just give it to him. He's going to allow Lot to choose the land that he thinks he deserves. And in this moment, Abram is teaching us and revealing to us that something's happened in him. 
He's not operating out of fear. He's not operating out of a, a reaction to this conflict that has happened. He is, react, he is responding in a place of trusting in God's provision. Because he is putting everything in Lot's hand. And he's saying, you make the choice. And whatever choice you make, Lot, God's going to take care of me. Lot, if you go left, God will provide for me when I go right. If you go right, if I go left, God's going to provide for me. So I'm not afraid. I'm not scared in this moment. I'm not doubting the promise of God to provide for me and to protect me in this moment. He knew that God would protect him and that God would prosper him regardless of what Lot chose to do. That God would take care of him. He had just witnessed it in Egypt through his failure and his disobedience. And so he chooses to move forward confident in the provision and the hand of the God who had called him. Verse 10. And so Lot lifted his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered like the garden of the Lord, reference to the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt that they had just come out of that was uh, uh, plush and lush with vegetation and water. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, and thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, uh, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Uh, This is the same Sodom that uh, is going to be referenced in a few chapters from now when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness and their evilness. And now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Lot looks up. Abram says, hey, listen, Lot, you've got your choice. Look out. What do you want? Survey all the land. It's kind of like in in the Lion King, you know, when they're standing out and surveying the land. It's kind of like that moment, right? Whichever one you want, you go choose it. And I imagine Lot's looking over at like the beautiful, you know, the grassland in the Lion King. He goes, yeah, I want that. I I don't want the death area that's barren with like all the elephant bones and the dryness. You know, you can have that, Abram. Let God provide for you over there. I'm taking the good land. It was beautiful. It was like the garden. It was like Egypt they had left. But the problem for Lot is that he made his decision purely on what his eyes saw. Do you remember when Adam and Eve uh, messed up in the garden? They saw that the tree was good for eating and and good for knowledge. They looked at and they used their eyes to make their decision and they didn't consult God. The same thing for Lot. He doesn't pray about this. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't consider what inhabitants are in that land and what kind of problem are they going to give me later in life. He just looks up and says, that's the most beautiful looking land. Let's go with that one. And can I just tell you, that's going to destroy you every single time when you make decisions based on appearances. But that is what Lot does. He makes his decision purely on what he could see. Verse 10 tells us he lifted his eyes, but he didn't lift his his eyes high enough. The beauty of this area distracted him from the wickedness that lived within Sodom and Gomorrah. His desire for bigger and better, for a a nicer land, led him away from God's promise to Abram. And Lot ends up raising his family in an area of extreme wickedness. Lot's decision in this moment to go with this valley leads his entire family to destruction. 
It leads his entire family to settle outside the promise of God. Canaan was the promised land. Canaan was where God had called Abram and Lot to. That is where God called Abram was to Canaan. Abram remains in God's promise while Lot moves outside of God's promise following the beauty that his eyes saw. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look to the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that no one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also cannot be counted. God has a moment after Lot leaves to just talk with Abram. Why did he want to talk with him? Because this was a promise that God had made to Abram and God was going to remind Abram of. This was not a promise made to Lot. The promised land had been made to Abram when he lived in Ur. God said, I'm going to give you this land in Canaan. He had promised him that when he was back in his homeland. And now God is going to repeat the promise to Abram. Hey, you're here. You are in Canaan. Look out. Look at this beautiful land. I'm going to give it to you. He also wanted to remind Abram that even though he had been generous to Lot and he had given him the land, God reminded him that it all belonged to him anyway. And he makes another promise to Abram. Not only is this land going to be yours, I'm going to bring descendants out of you, Abram. That's not remarkable. He's a man. He's married to a woman. That's what happens, right? No. Abram and Sarai are 60 and 70 years old at this time. God is making a promise to Abram who is childless, who is late in his life. And his, his wife is in her mid to late 60s. He's in his mid to late 70s. And he is promising to bring countless to so many descendants that you couldn't even count them. How is that possible? It's possible with a 20-year-old whose wife is not barren. It's not possible with a 70-year-old man whose wife cannot have children. And oh, by the way, the land that God told him to look out and said, hey, I promise I'm going to give you all this land. It wasn't even Abram's. The Canaanites had possession of it. They were living in the land. The Pezzarites were living in the land. They had possession of it. God makes a promise to Abram while the land is still possessed by the Canaanites and while Sarai is still barren. Abram neither had the land in his hand or a descendant that he could give it to. And yet he waits faithfully on God. He would wait another 30 years for the promise of a son to be fulfilled by God. That is some faith. That is radical faith compared to the faith that we saw not too long ago when he flees to Egypt to find food for his family. 
This tells you the change that has happened in Abram. It tells you how much he learned in his time of Egypt and how true the repentance was that Abram had when he returned to Bethel and he worshiped God. Verse 17, so God commanded him to arise and to walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. It's not yours. Someone else has it right now. Your wife can't have kids, but I'm gonna bring that too. God says, walk through this land. And so Abram moved his tent and he came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. As a token of Abram's reception of the, the land, God says, go walk through it. Explore this land that I'm going to give to you. You don't have it yet. It's coming, but I want you to walk through it. I want you to, to, to look at it. I want you to see what it is I'm gonna bless you with. And I love this language. The, the name uh, Mamre means vision. Hebron. Hebron where Abram sets his tent, means communion. Moses is showing us that Abram once again walked in the Lord's vision for him and his life and in communion with the Lord. And it is in that place that he built another altar and he lived in this constant awareness of his need to worship God. He lived in a life of worship and obedience to God. Abraham is fellowshipping with God again. And because of that fellowship, God is able to remind him of his promise that he had made to him, that he had not forgotten his promise, that it would come to be, and it wouldn't be on Abram's effort, it would be on his. And how true is it of us that when we don't fellowship with God how easily and quickly we forget the promises of God that he has made to us in his word. And so when we find ourselves in a place like Abram at the beginning of this chapter, in a place of disobedience, may we learn from Abram. May we take the same actions that he did. May we repent. May we turn away from that distraction that has pulled us away from God that has pulled our worship and our devotion away from God. May we repent of it, turn our back on it, and may we return to worship and devotion of God. And when we do, know that we have an enemy who would love to attack and to pull us away from our worship and devotion of him. May we be prepared. May we be ready, just as Abram was. God, we come to you thanking you for the example of Abram. God, thank you that you don't use perfect men and women in Scripture. You use fallen, broken people who don't always get it right. What an encouragement to us. May we be more like Abram in the moments where we misstep the moments where we fall away and the moments where we choose disobedience over obedience, would we repent? Would we return to you? And may we sturdy our heart for the ways the enemy will try to distract us when we do. That we would walk as Abram did in your vision for our life and in communion with you and fellowship with you.
because that's what you desire for us. That when we do that, we would be a light to our community. We would be an example of hope to the people around us where we live, where we work, and where we play. Help us to be devoted to you this week and to walk in faithful obedience to you in the ways you're leading us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.